This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the church boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. So, Billy, Billy, I'm I'm having my um my breakfast as we record this, and I'm I'm sitting here eating this piece of toast and having a glass of grape juice, and trying to figure out what is what is all over my toast. Is this is this blood? blood? Is this blood, blood all over? My, oh. It's blood. Well, that's your toast. Your toast has been bleeding for three days. Right. What's? (laughs) (laughs) I have an incredibly inappropriate joke I could make about the toast uh, Um, bleeding for three days that I won't make. But my there seems to be blood all over my toast. We are pulled off the air. (laughs) And my grape juice, uh, my grape juice is fine, but my my toast is all apparently bloody. What is? What is this? um, It is actually a miracle, and I think that is a miracle. God has, done, it's, God has God done something is, amazing here so with you're my bagel. toast. Well, there's also, I have another and piece toast. of toast here that's not bloody, but it's, oh, it's, is that? Oh, it is. That is, I see the face of someone in this toast. That's the face of Jason Howerton. Oh, that's terrifying. Is like, it holding a gun? <laughs> is it? No. Is it fast at work on a story about gun-toting grannies? No. No, no, he's he seems to be busy, busily, busily uh, uh, p- posting things to Facebook. <laughs> That's weird. Oh, <laughs> uh, luckily Jason doesn't listen or, um, or care <laughs> or care. So what you are trying to do is give an awkward transition without the jingly music into our first story, Chris, and I commend you for it. It was very creative. Thanks. And that well, look, weren't you proud of me of resisting the joke that I was not going to tell? Yeah, I'm proud of you because I'd like to keep the show. <laughs> You're such a weirdo. Oh man, there you go. There there's, it is. There's your jingle. Okay, so what what is it that I was trying to get get to? I don't even remember. Um, oh, the, the bloody toast. The oh, bloody. the bloody toast. The bloody toast. So, look, this bloody toast story is one of my favorites because uh, it's and it's actually not toast. It's it's. It's a communion wafer, and there was a church, a Catholic church, and it was under the Diocese of Salt Lake City. Chris is laughing uncontrollably, and I could see him on the camera. Uh, Just for those of you who can't hear him, he's laughing. Um, The Catholic Diocese of Salt Lake City, apparently after a church service the next week, this wafer had been left in water. I I don't know. I guess the, the way that they dispose of wafers is to put them in water. So they dissolve. Um, that's the most respectful way, I guess, in some Catholic like, churches of how they would so, get rid of Okay, so no, wait, 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 wait. This is the first I've ever heard. I didn't know this about our Catholic friends, that this is how they get rid of leftover wafers. You know, I don't know. I don't. It's the first I had ever. It's like the flag. You got to like do or like you got to bury it or whatever. So Yeah, it's the first I had ever heard that. I don't. I, I guess like it's a common practice, at least at, at this church, where you would put it in the water so that it would dissolve. Um, and, and rather than throw it out, I guess it makes sense, right? Well, I guess, but then what do you do with the water? <laughs> you throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just curious. I mean, um, a, a different churches have their traditions and their ways of doing things. And that's, hey, that's fine. It's your church. You do what you want. But I just, 
thought that was interesting. I'd never, I'd never, until you said that right now, I'd never even, I'd never heard of that. Well, look, I mean, I could be wrong. Who knows? But you that, probably the, are. But they put it in water. You've probably, <laughs> you probably had offended an entire segment of the country now. All <laughs> Catholics are going, well, what is this idiot? What, what is he saying? <laughs> they could be making it up. <laughs> um, so they put it in water, and okay. the next week, they started noticing this red substance on it, and people are thinking, and there's pictures of it. We have them on the blaze. Right. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, the communion wafer is bleeding. Like, it's some weird sign or a nice sign from God that the communion wafer is bleeding. Now, it, now I have to credit the diocese. I, apparently, allegedly, this was put on display inside the church at a mass, and people took pictures, and then the media got a hold of it. But, but from the start, the diocese said, we want to actually investigate this. We're yeah. not going to call this a miracle or whatever. We want to look at it. So they brought in—I mean— Honestly, it's like SEAL Team 6 over here. They had this like elaborate team of like these amazing people who are experts in everything from Catholic theology all the way down to biology. And they basically, molecular biology, they went through and looked and, and realized, oh my gosh, this isn't so, blood. Did they? Okay, <laughs> It's red blood. It's red mold. Okay, so let me let me ask this then. Okay, and this is not to, me, to be, just a moment. Apparently that we have a phone call. <laughs> Hello. This is this is so. Hello. This is what Chris does. He picks up the phone. There's nobody there. It's hello? like the same spiel. Can you hear him saying hello in the background? Hello. How rude that he just picks up a phone and. Hello. There's no. Yeah, there's no one there. I think well, on the fourth hello, hello you could have determined that maybe. This is a computer. This is a computer doing a try. No, you're not a real person. Don't you hate it when they do these with these calls? Hello. Um, yeah. Have you ever had? Have you had the auto the 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 calls? It's obviously a re, a, re, a recorded voice, a re, robot voice or whatever recorded. Yes. And it says mm -hmm. you're a robot. Or you're not a ro no. I'm a real person. It's like, oh, come on. Anyway, <laughs> that's what that was. This is not the first time this has happened, by the way, either. <laughs> so okay, so let me ask this. Going back to the wafer with in with had the the red mold on it. Okay, let me ask a, a question. They they. They did a molecular test on it, right? I mean, they got in to see what it was. Uh, the observed change in the host could be satisfactorily and conclusively explained by natural causes, namely the growth of what's commonly known as red bread mold, right? And that, that's what it says in the story. Right. Yes? Okay. So let me ask this. This is not a dig at all on my Catholic friends in the least. Let me ask this, though. If it's red bread mold... Doesn't that mean that it was bread? <laughs> Wait, you're going there right now? But um, when does so? The, okay, so there's the transubstantiation thing, right? Right. Okay, and I don't. Again, I'm asking this out of ignorance, not out of being a, a dick. Okay, and Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> but I'm asking this, and it's in when does it? When does the transubstantiation in the Catholic faith? When does that happen? I thought it happened. When it, when the bread was blessed and broken, um, I thought it happened when it went into your body. Is it? Maybe it is. Maybe that's if it is. Then well, th then this is you know immaterial. But I thought that was interesting that they did a molecular test on it. It was still bread and it had red bread mold on it. Well, now you've got me like curious. Now I want to. Now I want to know. So in, I thought uh, I always was under the impression when you inge ingest it. Okay. Well, that's then that's perfectly. I mean, I'm sure that it would have to be because nobody would say you're actually drinking actively drinking blood that it that it changes within your body i would suppose or eating flesh right i mean certainly 
Okay, I'm that's uh, anyway. I don't. I certainly. I just. I'm asking out of ignorance because I. I simply don't know. Were they surprised to see that it was bread mold on the host? I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. Well, <clears throat> you know what's kind of interesting though, and I will say this. I'll, I'll get and I'm. I'm. People are gonna like criticize me for saying it. It, it is interesting. I don't know all the different types of mold, but I've never seen red mold on bread. I've only seen like green mold on bread. Yeah. It is sort of comical and interesting that it was red mold. Yeah. So, okay. So here's my next question then. And mold comes, I know it can come in all different colors. Why would, when you saw that, why would the first thing you jump to is go, there's blood on there. Well, I mean, it's, it's weird when you look at the picture of it. it I mean, nobody, I don't think most people realize that mold can be red. I've never seen red mold. It can be all sorts of colors. I mean, it doesn't, wouldn't surprise me, but I'm well, I didn't not, know that you were the, you were but the I'm not an expert on it and I can't colors. and I can't say that I have seen red mold. I'm, I'm I'm sure I may have sometime I don't know but I'm just saying that if I were to see a, a communion wafer or, or host or whatever in a glass of water I'd first go well that needs to be washed, right? But then I'd also but I, if I saw the red on it my first my first instinct would not be to go oh there's blood on there. It's interesting. Right? I'm reading, I mean, I'm would that be would story. that be your first would that be your first Again, no, I'm not Catholic. I don't be. have it those connections. Be. That be. wouldn't be my first response. My first response would be, well, what is growing on that? Not, well, it's blood. I mean, I wouldn't assume. I wouldn't. In fact, that wouldn't be the first thing. That wouldn't, I, I'm not that wouldn't even I'd be the 10th thing. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't even be the 10th thing I would jump to is that it's blood. Well, okay. So I'm looking at another story from 2011. This happened four years ago, too. Um, there was a church out in the Twin Cities where they found this. Um, they found, uh, I guess, let's see here. Yeah, they found it on the floor. They found the wafer on the floor. They put it in water again. So this must be a common thing. It's supposed to dissolve. It never dissolved. Um, and then it turned red. And it turned out to be a fungus. It took months, but then they announced right. that it was a fungus. Right. And same type what, of thing. Which is what I would have guessed this would have been, would have fungus. I wouldn't have said mold. I would have said a fungus. But yeah, anyway. Right. right. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, the whole thing is just I'm now I'm looking up transubstantiation right now to try to figure out. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. They don't when you look at definitions of it, it's not really explained. I mean, our Catholic friends help us comment and let us know what you were taught on this. I'm wondering if there are different teachings on it too. Right. And it's well, and, and, your interpretation was not that when it entered the body. Your interpretation was that at least the, at least the process starts when it's blessed, right? I guess, yeah. I don't, I, mean, I don't know. I simply, I really, I simply don't know. I don't mean to sound like a jerk on this because that's not my intent. You know, <laughs> I know that, that may shock people. But I'm, I'm looking right here. Hold on. Um, it's during mass. They're transformed in the actual, but it doesn't say. I, I keep, <clears throat> I keep saying it's transformed. It's transformed, but there's no evidence of when that transformation takes place. That's what I'm having a hard time finding. Anyway, okay. So let me, let me ask this then, if it was a if um okay so i don't understand jumping to the conclusion that it's blood first versus anything else right okay but if if you were to assume that it's blood or or think that it's blood uh, why would you immediately say this is a miracle and a sign that god's trying to bless us here or so or i because they they well, look at the, they look at it as, as a positive thing but the church didn't do that. I mean, the, the, the people who the saw it, though, the, the parishioners, right? right? Why <coughs> would that be? People, I, don't, I don't understand why. Why would? But why would a bloody wafer immediately have you go look on the positive side of it, of it as it being something positive versus something negative? Well, you know, I think 
a lot of people a lot of people over spiritualize they see spiritual spiritual things everywhere and to the catholic church's credit they they always say this i don't know right. in practice how this works out in different churches but you know the, and they, and we have this in the story too very few times are things actually miraculous most things have a natural explanation sure. and that natural explanation they they seek it they try to figure out what what that is I think some people, though, view the world. I know people. I have people in my own family. I know people who everything is spiritual. Everything. I mean, right. if, like, I'm not. Okay. What, somebody that I know, okay, that I know very well. I it, had Andrea, a Christmas Andrea. tree that died, remember? Andrea. Yeah. No, it was not Andrea. <laughs> she laughed at this. I had a Christmas tree that died, and this person was saying that it could have been spiritual. For some reason, something was not healthy or not spiritually healthy, that the Christmas tree never took water. And I, and I started laughing. I'm like, the Christmas tree didn't take water because I bought a dead tree and didn't realize. I mean, it's not because there's some spiritual. And now my new tree is taking tons of water. So yeah. clearly that demonic force must be gone. So I think <laughs> my point is that some people look at everything as yeah. being spiritual. Yeah. And and we, you know, I just I, you have to be careful on this. And I think they were and they did a prompt investigation and realized that there was something growing on right. the bread. Well, anyway, I th I think it's fascinating. And I think it's. I, again, I don't know when the host thing happens or the transubstantiation thing happens. I don't get, again, not being Catholic and not having this, you know, raised, I'm not, not in this tradition, raised in this tradition, don't understand immediately thinking it's blood. And I also don't understand if you do immediately think it's blood, why you think that would be a good thing versus a bad thing. Rarely do, rarely do things that bleed for three days <laughs> result in something good. Um. This is interesting. I'm on I'm on a website right now, CatholicDoors.com. I have no clue if this is legitimate or not, so I shouldn't even be sharing it. But it's run by they, the Freedom, you know, the, the the Freedom from Religion Foundation. <laughs> but they're saying that water is a thing. Putting it in water to get rid of it is okay. a thing. But if it falls on the floor, you're apparently supposed to eat it immediately too. That's another way to dispose of it. Like a five second um, rule kind of thing. Like there's kind a, of. There's a Catholic, like five, be... Catholic five second rule. EWTN, when a host isn't swallowed. Um, this is really interesting. Let's see. EWTN, what is it? A host which has been partially consumed in some way may be disposed of by placing it in water until it's dissolved and then pouring the water into the sanctarium or into the onto, into the ground. So that's how you get rid of the water. Huh. Well, what's a sanctarium? Aquarium. What's a aquarium? I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know the research on the fly. You're just going through it. It's right the now. sanctuary of the church. Huh. Interesting. Huh. Um, we still don't anyway. know when it becomes flesh and blood, though, right? No. I mean, because it's like, I, I don't know why nobody can just tell me that. It should be very simple. When does it become flesh and blood? I'm looking. Hold on. We All have right. to know this. But we have yes. to find this out. I think it's, I think it's extremely interesting. No, I do, too. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I okay. think I have it. All right. Um, is this is this from the Mikey Weinstein site? <laughs> is that a no? Um, the is that a no? Holds the consecrated host and shows it to the congregation. Um, so it's been consecrated. Oh, it's already mid. It's complete midway through the Eucharistic prayer, so it's before it goes into their body. You were right. I I was okay. Not... So so then a test of this should not have shown red bread mold. There's there's no reason that human that flesh would have red bread mold on it. Right. Which would yeah. be, which would be, I guess, I guess, then would explain why. I guess you could go fungus, but not mold. Why people would jump to the conclusion of it being blood versus something else? Because if they believe that it's 
the body of Christ already, not when you eat it, but already once it's consecrated, that is now flesh, then the flesh could have blood come from it, I suppose. This is, I don't is know. it weird that I sound this is like making it. me hungry? <laughs> no. Um, Everything makes you hungry. <laughs> Can we? All right. We. You know what we need to do? We need to call the ghost of Christmas past. I also okay. like to call her Krampus. I also like to call her uh, Black Peter. <laughs> There's a lot of names that I have for her. She has no idea that we're calling her, but I think we need to call right. Sarah, Sarah Rivette because she's basically a sweeter version of the Grinch wrapped up in a package. Well, let me just stop there. Let's she, just has call her, because I, she has her Christmas rules, right? She, yeah, she does. And I mean, I want her to explain them. I don't okay. want to I don't want to ruin right. it for anybody because I, I want her to tell us how parents should treat their kids at Christmas, what they should do. Um, and in between the beatings, I want her to tell us, oh, you I awkward just, transitioned me in the middle of my. I, I just needed to because you were annoying me with all of your talking. And I actually couldn't stop talking. It was one of those moments where you just keep going. And we need you to know? get into the next topic. So I figured that was the best way to do it. That was actually a good move. All right. Um. <laughs> All right, we're calling. We're calling Sarah Rivette. It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a bombshell. Is she even there? I don't know. We'll find out, won't we? She's on Slack. <laughs> Please be there. Please be there. Please be there. Please be there. She probably knows the number by now. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up your phone, woman. Can you just tell her to pick up the phone? Hey, you've reached Sarah. Sorry, I missed your call. Send me a message and I'll call you back. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang dreidel. up Let's sing or the press song. one Let's for more sing the dreidel song. Dreidel, 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 dreidel. I have, I made it out of clay. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Something. I oh wait, she's texting back. This is back. the worst. This is the I'm worst. I'm a bad singer. <laughs> she always says, "Answer the phone." She goes, oh, "Fine." It's okay. We can call her back. All right, I'm ha- I'm hanging up. Okay. <clears throat> Let's try to call her back. <laughs> she, I just wish she'd be more proactive about dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made it out. I ha- I was it. I have a little dreidel. I made it out of clay. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Wait. Chris, stop. How, it, how does it go? You're not, you're, I don't know because I'm not Jewish and neither are you. And clearly you're showing us that. You have no idea. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I have a little dreidel. I made it out of clay. You're off. I don't know. You're right. You don't know. What kind of horrible Christmas surprise is this? Wait, how what's angry up? does she sound? This what's, is great. What's up, Krampus? We're recording right now. <laughs> Nothing. Muffin? Did you say muffin? Uh, Billy and I are both hungry. Oh, nothing. No, well, don't mention muffins and stuff. I just ate an entire tin of cinnamon rolls because I had a craving. So. <laughs> You've been pregnant for like a year and a half. <laughs> right? It's the Jessica Simpson pregnancy. It never ends. And, and so when, I, when, I, when Billy said that earlier this morning, <laughs> I thought he was talking about the fact that Jessica Simpson blew up to like 300 pounds. That's terrible. <laughs> I didn't realize he was talking about oh an God. elephant gestation period. <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> respond to this, I, please. I have not. I've only gained 10 pounds so far. So I got that going for me. All right. Way to go. How, so, wait. Uh-oh. Do we lose her? Something buzzed. Well, oh, I, I have a feeling that my, my cinnamon bun splurge will 
be way more than will put me over that edge. So you've only yeah. gained ten pounds. What is this? You're having you're having what a chihuahua because that is not a very big baby if you've only gained ten pounds. Well, my with Emily, I gained the recommended like twenty five, thirty pounds, most of it in the second half of the pregnancy, right. and um, she was only five pounds, so she was tiny baby. So how far along are you? I am 23 weeks on Saturday, so I am still a little bit over halfway. So, and it just seems like it's been for forever. I know. Trust me. I know. Uh. I'm the one living it. Well, uh. I, the real reason we're calling you is because you are like the ghost of Christmas past. You have, you have a very specific way. I don't know what that means either. I just like <laughs> I like I was calling you Krampus before too. I, you have a very specific <laughs> way. Well, before we even get into that, let me ask you. How should parents treat their kids at Christmas time? What should, what should they give them? How should they treat them? Okay, so I am, <laughs> up until meeting my husband, I was very anti-Christmas. Of course you were. I, I was a Scrooge. I was a Grinch. Yep, I, I, I corroborate. So, and, and that's because I did not like Christmas as a child. My birthday is December 23rd, so therefore I was that Festivus. kid that got birthday presents in Christmas, it's Christmas wrapping, and I got happy birthday, Merry Christmas, or Merry Christmas, happy birthday. So I just kind of was like, eh, I don't need this holiday. So this wait a second. holiday is too trumped up. It's all about presents, and I just didn't like it. I didn't so you, enjoy it. You didn't I like didn't the, find it fun. You didn't like the season or the music or the decorations mm-hmm. or any of that stuff? No, and I mean, like, I will go back and I will share some of my Scroogey Christmas posts from a few years ago when I was living in Philadelphia. I worked in this gorgeous old building called the Wanamaker Building, and um, it, the Wanamaker Building, it was a, originally when it was first built in like the early 1900s, was a department store, and they have done this Christmas light show for probably 60 years, and it's this huge show with a huge organ that plays, and it's beautiful, and everyone loves it, and everyone in you know um in the pennsylvania corridor corridor comes in to see the wanamaker light show and i was like this is the most miserable thing that i've ever experienced i have to listen to this every hour (laughs) on the hour for how many weeks i'm going to kill myself so what, what, what would make you hate that so much other than your black heart uh well you said i mean the black heart had a lot to do with it all right but um so, you know, my husband loved Christmas, though. He loved, loved, loved Christmas. So he kind of broken me out of the Scrooge, the, the Scrooge role a little That's bit. That's good. Um, I still am not particularly fond of it because I do think that it has become incredibly commercialized. I don't think that we should shower our children with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of presents because that's not what the holiday is about. It's... It's about being faithful. It's about Christ. It's about being with your family. It's about traditions that every family honors. So um, I'm very frugal when it comes to Christmas. We, we set strict budgets, and we say this is what we will spend. This is, you know, what you will get, and this is what to expect. And we've already started doing that with Emily. So, well, But I want you to take me through the plan because I know you have very is there, specific is, is there any spontaneity at all for you at Christmas? You could have stopped um, at, at any spontaneity at all. <laughs> are you not a spontaneous? Are you not a spontaneous person? Rebecca? She can be. Uh, no, I am a planner. Uh, I am a meticulous planner. But um, 
No, no. Let me just say something. Sarah is the only person I've ever met who will be like, okay, you're you're in your third year of college. I'm just going to take everybody back for a minute. Sarah and I went to college together. Right. And Sarah is like, I am going to eat a sandwich next March on the 13th day. It will be a Wednesday. I will have a three sips of water after I eat that sandwich at 1 p.m. And at 1.07, I will go to the bathroom. And that will happen exactly the way she said it <laughs> six months from the time she said it will happen. That is Sarah. She's like, I'm going to go and do this. And it's like, what are you talking? How are you even going to do that? Because you right. don't even have a job there right, right now. And before you know it, she's doing it. Right. She maps it out to a bizarre point. Which Am is I good correct? because it, when, you drink as good. Mu- when you drink as much as she does, you should have a plan written down somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that is very valid, Chris. I mean, I think part of that comes from, uh, part of my planning comes from that aspect of my life where, you know, I forget what's going on. But um, I do right. I do plan everything. Like I tell him, I told him probably, I think the year after I graduated from grad school, I'm going to deploy to Afghanistan at some point. And then like four years later, I was in Afghanistan. I was like, yep, yeah, I told you. No, and it was like, but you had a very specific purpose of going to Afghanistan, which I won't share because it was pretty, but you were going to do it because of this reason and you did it and, and that reason was fulfilled. And it was like, oh, once again, Miss Cleo ma- maps her path out. Very bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. And then I also, when we were pregnant for Emily, I said, well, we're going to, I want to try to get pregnant a second time around when Emily's nine months old. And I planned that and I said it out loud and it happened when we didn't even like attempt to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, but so, so wait, you have like a plan though, right? There's like a movie, there's pajamas, like take me oh, through okay. this yeah, demonic we, plan. So we do, um, we, they're called our Christmas Eve box. And so we always did this when I was growing up, we always had one present that we could open on Christmas Eve. And I kind of transformed that because every year, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. we would get the same thing. Everyone would always get an ornament. Everyone would always get a Christmas-themed book, a Christmas-themed movie, and then a Christmas a set of Christmas pajamas. So I've kind of consolidated those four elements into the Christmas Eve box, where um, everyone gets a new set of pajamas, an ornament to put on the tree, um, a movie, and then a movie to watch the next day when... <laughs> Uh, everybody, you know, the parents are cleaning up from Christmas and the kids are enjoying their toys okay. and then a book to read before going okay. to bed. Okay, now, let me ask you something. Okay, so you, you grew up hating Christmas and so you thought, in order to my, help my daughter enjoy Christmas, I'm going to bring in the traditions from my childhood. <laughs> just just because I hated Christmas doesn't mean that the traditions were bad. It's just that I didn't well, maybe the traditions, like them growing Maybe the up. traditions didn't facilitate a liking of Christmas for you. No, but it wasn't the traditions that didn't facilitate it. It was the time of year and the fact that my birthday and everything was kind of all lumped together. So I was just, I just t- I turned it off. I and Sarah, so, so all these. So all these traditions and ways your family attempted to celebrate to make it to make it great for you that failed obviously miserably. You're going to go ahead and use those for your kids. Because <laughs> like they didn't they didn't fail like it wasn't the traditions that failed me. It was the fact that I always kind of was like well, oh they, but they so did. I, I mean today and- if they didn't if they had mm-hmm. if they had been successful the traditions had been successful you wouldn't have been so anti christmas but they i mean they had a lot of things working against them granted now does your husband have does your husband or his family have traditions that maybe you should go 
you know, honey, <laughs> what would you they like do, to do? They do the same kind of thing. Okay. So a Christmas box so, that I mean, they get. So is it a one day celebration then for the kids? They just Christmas Eve, they get the box and that's it or what? No, no. Christmas Eve, they get the box and then Christmas morning, you know, there'll be the Santa present, like the one like thing that they wanted or whatever. You know, Emily obviously can't tell us what she wants. She has no concept what Christmas is. She's only 15 months old. But, you know, it'll be like the, the thing that they wanted. And then every so it's one Santa gift and then everything else is from mom and dad. So, okay, um, what about before, like, your birthday is on Festivus, the 23rd. So do you guys do anything between, excuse me, Thanksgiving and Christmas? I mean, do you decorate for the whole Christmas season? Or is it just like, you get the Christmas box on Christmas Eve, and you get two presents on Christmas, and that's it? I mean, do you do the whole season I, thing? I can't I can't stop my husband. My husband is, okay, good. is a Christmas fanatic, so good. I just kind of have given into it at this point. Your husband, I like your husband. He's the only person, uh, he's the <laughs> only person in the history of the show who's actually I, been on the show nude. <laughs> or at least shirtless. Dude. Shirtless, I should shirtless. say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the other thing that we do every Christmas is we have an ugly sweater party um, and we have friends and family come over and we have a, um, a sweater contest and lots of food. Which and doesn't surprise me at all. Booze and stuff. Because <laughs> I figure, of course, Sarah's going to have one party all Christmas season, and the goal of it is to find things she can ridicule. I mean, it's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. Last year, actually, we had, I even went so far, I didn't do it this year because I've been so, um, like, pregnant, bedridden with this pregnancy. But last year, we actually did really tacky Christmas decorations in the yard. Yeah. Um, with, and we did tacky, uh, I did some tacky, like horrible Christmas food that obviously no one touched. So it wasn't even worth doing <laughs> besides the fun of doing it. So, <laughs> all right. I'm letting you off the hook, Sarah, because Chris is going to keep going here. You basically, oh. you have a very, very planned out Christmas, which is not a bad idea. Um, because we did, we're, oh, we're not going to get our kids a lot. And then we got our kids a lot. That's what happens. You end up doing that, you know? So it's good. You're, you're being smart. I mean, it's easy to get to, it's easy to get out of control and it's easy to lose sight of what the, the whole season's about. And for, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new in terms, and Billy knows this, I'm new in general in, ter in terms of like my journey through faith. So like for me, Christmas, I'm making it about family. I'm making it about what we do together and, like, and I like that. I like how that. We, That's good. I how like we that. spend the season together rather than what you get on this one day. No, that's and that's good. So, I like um, that. And this year we're going to start. So we're going up to my in-laws' house for for the week before. So we're going to, um, as a family, we're all going to go out and see uh, Santa and get our pictures taken. We're going to go to a Christmas Eve mass or service. I don't know. The, the, the in-laws get to pick the church, so I'm not sure exactly where we're going. Um, and then we're going to also find down here in, um, the South people and people decorate their houses, but it's, you know, not as grand. So they have these like drive through, um, things on ranches where they're just thousands and thousands and thousands of lights. Right. So you drive through and you, you kind of like stay in your car and you kind of go through this little like Christmas light village. So we're going to do one of those. Um, so those are the types of things that I think are important for us as a family so okay so do you watch like 
one of the things I love during Christmas to do with my kids is like watch the different Christmas specials that come on. Do you guys do those things? I and mean, you watch those with the with uh, with the little one? Like I mean, my wife and I, before we had kids, would watch the old Christmas specials just together. We'd uh, we'd sit down and watch those. Well, we're cable cutters, so we have to like you know find whatever well, they have, we can they, on like they, Netflix. They have them on DVD and, like and on that. Netflix, yeah. I no, I know, and this year the Christmas movie. I mean, it's not like Emily will know this now, or if I say it now, or in two weeks when she, in a week and a half when she opens it. But um, we got the the Peanuts holiday collection as our as our movie oh, this yeah. year, so it'll have the Christmas special and the Thanksgiving special and the Halloween special. You know, President Obama's not aware of what the true meaning of Christmas is, according to his appearance in that special commemorating that but maybe you could send a letter to the white house letting him know that that there's a reading in that show of luke 2 that actually describes what christmas is really luke, about luke in case you're not aware comes from the bible uh yes no i thought luke was from star wars guys well there's that too oh, oh my gosh i don't know what wait, just wait, happened wait. okay oh, we lost sarah okay um so, <laughs> <laughs> um She's now so we <laughs> speaking of speaking of luke are you going to Star Wars this weekend? No, I'm not watching Star Wars. Let me uh, listen, okay? Oh, no, because that's right. You're a Trekkie. I no, forgot. No, no, I forgot. You're a Trekkie. I'm not a Trekkie, that's, and yeah. I don't watch Star I'm sorry. Star Wars is so overblown. Okay, uh, the most interesting the thing was the, Princess the, the, Leia's the, the, hairstyle. That was the most no, interesting thing. No, <laughs> more interesting than her hairstyle was the <laughs> iron bikini. I might. Right, well, I might I'll, I'll give you that. Okay, but. so, but no, wait, wait, wait. I know I've asked this before, but let me ask it again. It's more rhetorical than anything else. Of the two of us, which of us has been to a Star Trek convention? Uh, right, you have. So you are the you're a Trekkie, and Trekkie and Star Wars people don't get along, which is obviously why you and I fight all the time. I Listen, mean, I enjoy Star I'm not Trek. Not a Trekkie but... though. That I'm not. If you have the outfit and you go to the conventions, you're a Trekkie. No, I never. Okay, first of all, I didn't have the outfit. No, Let's you're... flip this. Let, wait a minute. Oh, I was eight years old. Okay. I was eight years old, right. and I don't you've even been going, remember. You've been today. going. You've been going to Star Trek conventions since you were eight years old. You started going when Let's you were eight years say, old. Let me just say, I am so tired of Hollywood having no ideas and revamping the same old. Oh, Star Wars is back! No, 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 no. The, the Star Wars, Star Wars. It's not a revamping of Star Wars. It's not a retelling. No, I, no, I, it's, I agree. No, it's a continuation. I, because I agree. Of ideas. I agree. I agree that there are a lot of lacking original ideas that they'll remake Spider-Man or they'll remake the Hulk. Those are remakes. Those are retellings. Are the same thing. I'm this sorry. is a continuation. This is a continuation of a story with a fan base that, that surpasses any other fan base. Right. It's and, and you know what? More it's a power it's to a, them. It's a sequel. More power. Yeah, but sequels are the same thing. Again. No. I mean, it, I understand I can understand I can understand that argument. I get I get that. Right, come up with something it's brand freaking, new. But it's this Disney. is enough. Di enough Disney. It's JJ Abrams. J. A Disney is only financing it. I don't think it's going to be Disneyfied because JJ Abrams is doing it. Listen, I'm over it. I never was into it. I don't. So you don't want another. You don't want to have another because JJ Abrams. There's another JJ Abrams production company. Bad Robot is putting out another Star Trek movie. He got out of directing and he's hired somebody else to direct it. I think it's going to be great. So I haven't seen a Star Trek movie in 20 years. J.J. Abrams put out the first two new ones with with Chris Pine and the other guys. Uh, anyway, you don't so you don't want any sequels of any kind ever. 
then? No, I'm just not that into it. I'm not into. I don't mind sequels, but they're generally not as good. I'm sure Star. I'm star, I'm sure Star Wars will be. Yeah. I'm just. I'm not into Star Wars. I don't think I've it's ever watched the, the first three fully. What? I'm not into it. <sighs> I see one or two movies a year at the movie theater You're if such I'm a lucky. Commie. Do you like? Yeah. Do you like James Bond? Haven't watched a James. No, I no. Oh. I definitely don't. Really? What's I definitely wrong don't. with you? I don't. I don't yeah. care about it. I don't care about it. You have your T cell level checked. You're obviously lacking in t- testosterone. Wait. Okay. You don't like Star Wars. You don't like James link, Bond. Gonna, like, wait a minute. You Star Wars is going to be your testosterone measure. I just want to make sure. No, no, no. This is, this your is lack your of liking. No, 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 your on. lack of hold. liking male things, including Star Wars and James Bond. Okay. And probably James don't like Bond? Indiana don't Jones. Hate James Bond. What? I don't hate it, but I don't love it. And it's oh, there was fourteen hundred of them. And they're all the same thing. They're not all the same thing. Oh my god, they're all the same. Okay, thing. they're similar. Some piece of garbage is going after another piece of garbage, <laughs> and there's a hot girl in the middle of it. That's the whole point. Which is a and, it's a great and, formula. It's a proven goes. formula for success. A super cool hero, a really bad villain who talks too much, and one or two hot babes. Right, I mean that's like a proven show. success. Minus the hot a girls. Couple a couple of hot babes. That's why we call Rivette, right? Pregnant, bloated Rivette. <laughs> She's our hot babe. What are you doing? What are you? You're looking concerned suddenly. Whatever. Well, I got a text message I was oh, reading. Okay. Whatever. Are you okay? Yeah. Everything no, all right? I, yeah, except for the fact that Star Wars is out again. Everything's fine. <laughs> No, I actually. What makes me not want to see it is that everyone wants to see it. It annoys of course, me because you're being you're being you know anti-establishmentarian. Or I something. can't handle it when everybody's talking about the same thing. I I would rather drink Drano <laughs> than do everything that everybody else is doing. You're such a girl. you're such a girl. Sometimes your picture's frozen. By the way, it's a lovely still of you. So, all right, let's um. Let's we can do one more story, maybe, and we let's, have an interview. We have an interview. Let's, we let's, do. let's awkwardly transition. We'll do the interview, and then, and then we'll get into our last story to close out with our final. This is I probably, by the way, it's probably our final episode of the, of 2015, right? Or are we going to do one because I'm traveling starting tomorrow, and I don't get back to like the 29th. So interesting how you're the one derailing the show now. Well, I'm not. Der- I'm I'm going to be working. I just won't have my mic and things because I'll be in butt munched Alabama somewhere. Wait, who are you guys celebrating the holidays okay, with? Because okay, your mic just went weird. Is your mic still working correctly? Yeah, my mic's my mic's good oh, there to go. You are, there you are. It's just a weird Skype. Maybe it's a Skype thing. So we're we're actually so we got to leave tomorrow. We're driving to Boise, which is like six hours through the mountains. So who knows how long that's going to take with three little kids, eight, five, and one. Uh, we're driving there for, a, I'm, I'm in my cousin's wedding on, on Saturday. And then the following Wednesday, the 23rd, we're flying to Atlanta and then driving two hours from Atlanta to a little place in, in Alabama. It's been four days there. Fly and then drive back to Atlanta on the 28th. Fly back to Boise all day. And then on the 29th, drive back from Boise all the way back up here to Washington State. Um, because we well, have my, a rule, um, it's and my, actually, it's my wife's baby sister. That's where, where it's it's my wife's. Okay, so you have a wedding. It's my do you wife's. You guys travel on holidays normally. Every other year we do because my family all lives around here. So this year it is my in-laws, my wife's family's Christmas year, and so we're actually having it at her baby sister's house in Alabama. 
So everybody from her family is flying down there to Alabama. But before that, I have a wedding for my cousin in Boise. So, um, Interesting. We have a rule. We have a Christmas rule. We actually will only celebrate Christmas in our house. It's something we started after we had kids. <laughs> that's what I would like. That's a rule I wouldn't mind implementing, though. You know, then, it causes it, a lot of problems. Right. Then it forces everybody to travel to your house. And it's like, well. Or or we'll see you the day after Christmas like that. So right. we will travel. We travel the 26th. We go up to oh, see okay. my family on the 26th and we stay there five days. Now, it does create problems because people want you to, you know, they want you to switch holidays. But right. our, our thing has been we want our kids to wake up in their house. We yeah. want to be home for Christmas. And that's our thing. And we're sticking with it. And again, it's controversial. I'd love to know what people think about yeah. that. And it comes and that would be a problem for us. I mean, not or, or not. I, my my wife's family is very flexible, so we could do Christmas wherever. But most of my I have a lot of extended family on my mom's side and they all come to town like a, the few days after Christmas and we do New Year's together. We watch football and eat and eat and eat and eat and watch more football. Uh, so that's kind of our Christmas time together then. So, it, you know, whatever Christmas in our house is whatever. It doesn't really matter. So, All right. Well, so what's this? What's this interview we're doing? I, fr I forget. <sighs> Is it one of your end times things again? Why are, why are you? Oh, I've been obsessed with the end times. Of course you have because of your. Um, so theory. basically, th this interview it is end times, but it's a little more interesting than the general end times. This person has a theory because in this okay. case, um, and I, I'm a name butcher as we know, but I'm I'm going to pronounce the name. It's he's a professor, um, and he works at Brookings. He's a fellow with the Center for Middle East Policy at Brookings. His name is Shibli Telhami. Okay. And um, I interviewed him. Really smart guy, professor. Um, Brookings commissioned a survey to look at American attitudes towards the Middle East and Israel. And right. that survey, they asked some really interesting questions. All right. Um, how people view the end times, how they view Israel, how they view you know Netanyahu. So I won't ruin it. I'll let him talk about that. But he sort of takes us through that research, which cool. we did cover on The Blaze, but he takes us a little bit deeper. All right. Let's check uh, it out. So roll it. All right. Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys, and I'm excited to have on the show somebody who's done some really, really interesting uh, survey research recently. I have Shibley Telhomi on the phone from the Center for Middle East Policy, and you put out a study, and that study is called The American Attitudes Toward the Middle East in Israel. It's something that we covered over on theblaze.com, and um, it, it's something that I really wanted to connect with you to dive a little bit deeper on. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thanks a lot, Billy, for having me. And I just want to also say that besides Brookings, I'm also a professor at the University of Maryland, and this is a University of Maryland poll. Yes, yes, and I should I should have mentioned that, and I appreciate you uh, you adding that. And really, I mean, what you looked at in this poll, for those who have not seen it yet, were a variety of attitudes. And, and the part that kind of stuck out to me, as I was telling you before we uh, started recording, is that I'm working on a book about the end times. And so looking at all of these different elements of what's happening in the Middle East and how evangelicals and other Christians are, are viewing those events in light of what they believe to be prophecy, I think it's all really fascinating. So I guess my, my first question for you is, what was the impetus for this study? Why did you guys dive in on this? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, although I've in, in, uh, uh, I, I had studied religion uh, before I even became a political scientist, I'm interested in those issues. What really caught my attention over the past few years is that the research that I do, principally on American foreign policy toward the Middle East, I do polling here. I've been doing it for more than a couple of decades in the U.S. about American public attitudes about the Middle East. Is that over the past two years, 
it's very clear that the focus on the Middle East is principally among evangelicals in ways that uh, really supersedes any community in the United States, including Jewish Americans. And so it's very clear that this has become a, a, a key constituency for the Middle East in America, and uh, especially within the Republican Party. Um, so I've been identifying those attitudes, but I, I was struck by the fact that there hasn't been extensive research on that connection, uh, data research. Uh, in particular, you know, even how we define evangelicals, in particular, having a large sample of evangelicals so we could break it down and uh, in a meaningful way where they could tell the differences among different uh, constituencies. So what I was able to do here uh, is actually have a larger survey. For example, instead of just relying on the percentage of evangelicals, um, which are set to be 25% if you include uh, born-again Christians, uh, 25% to 30% of the population. Uh, we oversampled for evangelicals and born-again Christians, so we had a, a large sample of both uh, over 1,100 uh, to be able to be able to break it down a little bit. And second, we tried to refine it. Um, so uh, we ask. Uh, uh, people to identify themselves, uh, if they consider themselves to be evangelical Christians or not. Uh, and then we also ask them to, uh, to identify themselves if they consider themselves to be born-again Christian or not. And here's the interesting thing. In, in the uh, information that we have, um, many of the surveys lump the two together, born-again slash evangelicals, uh, because people assume they're very similar, and people assume that also uh, that helps with enhancing the, the the size of the sample, particularly when you're doing a national sample of all Americans. But it turns out there are really important differences. Um, whereas, um, uh, you know, almost everyone who says they're evangelical, about 90%, also say they're born-again Christians. The opposite is not true. Uh, nearly half of those who say they're born-again Christians don't consider themselves to be evangelicals. So it's a significant percentage, and here when you look at the overall total of the quarter of Americans who are either one or the other, 13% of Americans consider themselves to be evangelicals, and 11% consider them to, uh, themselves to be born-agains, but not evangelicals. And there is a big difference. And what's the difference? Well, the overwhelming majority of those who consider themselves evangelical specifically, 75% of them, are Republican. Uh, I, the breakdown of born-agains who are not evangelicals uh, is more Democratic than Republican, and they include 20% African Americans, 10% Hispanics, and their views are not identical to those who consider themselves to be evangelical. So it's very fascinating when you have this kind of size sample to be able to break this down and differentiate the different uh, communities within uh, what people generally lump together as evangelical slash born-again community. Yeah, yeah no, that is, that is really fascinating. And, and I was going to say, you know, I wonder how much the political, I think evangelicals have been very much tied to the religious right and political sort of stigma around that title, um, which is interesting. And I've always wondered how that, you know, I've always wondered, are there, are there other born-agains who share, I would imagine, very similar beliefs about what Christ has done for their life, let's say, from a biblical sense, but yet don't want that label or don't agree with some of the other elements that come out of it? It's fascinating to me. Um, let me. Let me ask you, what was the most surprising finding for you coming out of the research? Well, um, th this was definitely a surprising finding that I just talked about, about the demographics. But here's the thing. Uh, 
Um, when you are looking at what we call the evangelicals, even if those who self-identify as evangelicals, 13 percent, um, two things that are striking about them. Uh, one is that, um, you know, we, we generally have this, you talk about stigma, and it is stigma because people think that they're one-dimensional. It's just like everybody thinks about groups, particularly through one aspect, like we now think of Muslims. We think of them through a very narrow prism. A lot of people who are uh, who are not sort of uh, in close contact with, with, with belief communities um, have a stereotype of what evangelicals are. Obviously, evangelicals are very complicated, like we all are. And so what you find, for example, is that uh, they're, they're divided in, in terms of what they care about, and you know, whether it's on social issues or foreign policy issues. Let me give you one example, and that is the the Syrian refugee issue, which I didn't directly pull on, but I, I'm going to give you something that's interesting. In the uh, Pew, for example, did a poll which showed that evangelicals tend to oppose absorbing Syrian refugees in large numbers in the rest of the population. But when you pull them on a separate issue, which is the issue of compassion. Uh, for example, when you say, um, how important is the golden rule to you on a scale of zero to 10? A majority of them rank it 10, which is the single most important rule, and seven to, and, 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 and the overwhelming majority, 90% rank it uh, from seven to 10. So, uh, so there's this kind of balance between compassion and, and, and worries about terrorism. Uh, that is obviously leading some to question whether, in fact, they're doing the right thing. So to lump them together based on the the fear element, not about the compassion element, is just not not right. And so that's one thing that that is obvious. The second thing is we always ask the question whether uh, because 75% of evangelicals are on the right in the Republican Party, whether this is really more of a political culture than it is a belief issue. What is it driven by theology, or is it driven by political culture? We all know that, of course, all things are a combination of these things. It's not like a single factor. But we do know now from the research that a lot of it is belief-based. Yeah. How do we know that? Well, if you take the evangel- if you set aside the evangelical Republicans out of the Republican Party, uh, they, they constitute roughly 23% of the Republican Party, um, those who say they're evangelicals. Um, if you set them aside, then the rest of the Republican Party on matters related to Israel and the Middle East is not different from the rest of the population. And so clearly the views of evangelical Republicans is, are, are not uh, the norm of the Republican Party, per se, and, and that tells you something. And second, when we test on specific uh, issues, such as what is your position on Israel based on, is it based on an analysis of the national interest, is it based on your, your, your uh, religious faith, it, clearly a larger number of them say religious faith. And third, when you speak inquire further into the theological aspects with end times and the belief in end times and the relationship between their expectation of uh, uh, the biblical interpretation of prophecy, whether it's literal or not, you find that there's a huge correlation between those who uh, believe that end times uh, will happen and and, and some uh, roughly uh, uh, 17% believe it's going to happen in this century. 
so that's a substantial group of people. Um, obviously, the overwhelming majority, as you might expect, believe that it'll happen, but one can't tell when. Uh, and, and that's true of, of most Christians as well, not just evangelicals. So uh, those were very interesting and telling aspects of the evangelical uh, community that we've studied. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. I mean, <clears throat> I would expect when you, when you read the Bible and you look at Revelation, if you're somebody who believes in the Bible, it's hard to walk away with a Christian label and say, well, I don't believe Jesus is coming back. And so I wasn't surprised to see the vast majority say they still believe that. I mean, you have the preterists and some other people who say they don't, you know, the extreme preterists that they think Jesus already came back. But um, and, and you have some Christians who may just embrace the label, but it was interesting to see that vast majority still saying, no, we think that, you, that, that a second coming will be happening at some point. We don't, we don't know when. Um, one of the, the fascinating pieces was the violence in the Middle East as a sign, you know, seeing that violence as a sign of the end times where you had, I think it was 79% of evangelicals saying that they view that as a sign and about 43% of the non-evangelical Christians um, saying the same. Were you surprised by the gap there at all? Uh, not by the gap so much, because I expected the evangelicals to focus on prophecy far more than traditional Christians. We've known that. That's not a particular surprise. But what surprises, though, how large a majority of evangelicals believes in this, uh, that this that this really is a, a sign, uh, and that something is going to happen in Israel, and things are going to turn against Israel as you get closer to end times. So that, that's, uh, you know, much closer... Uh, to a literal belief um, than they even say they have of the bio, uh, of prophecies in the Bible. So it surprised me, and I'm just wondering whether it's just a function of the fact that we have so much news coming out of the region right now, uh, mostly negative news and fear of terrorism and everything else that's going on that's exacerbating that. Uh, I don't have historical data to compare to say uh, they've changed profoundly from five years ago, uh, but I really intend to keep this up, to doing it annually, to see how this is evolving. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, that a lot of evangelicals, you know, not all, obviously, but a lot go to non-denominational churches that aren't necessarily affiliated with a bigger, broader, you know, umbrella. Um, some, a lot are, but but some aren't, which which always has fascinated me on the prophecy front. I know that there are some who argue, well, you know, Dallas Theological Seminary and some of these places have churned out a lot of um, pastors, and so that's why they share this worldview. But it is interesting that so many different preachers, um, you know, are obviously we assume teaching this based on on the number of evangelicals who believe it. Um, and so, so yeah, I think that's completely completely fascinating. And um, you know, how do you think? Well, I guess I mean we've we've already discussed this. I was going to ask you, you know, how do you think this impacts the worldview of the Middle East? You know, when you talk about evangelicals and how they operate. Um, in terms of their worldview, I think you've addressed that, but is there anything else you'd want to say about the results and, and how you believe we should sort of look at people of faith and how they're processing some of this? Well, you know, I, I think um, the, the, the starting point for me is this complexity, that yes, um, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm one who believes that, it, uh, that uh, politics is more about the intensity of belief, not just about the belief. So we all have opinions how important they are to us is a question that is behaviorally relevant. Uh, those things that I care most deeply about, that I believe most strongly, are the ones that I'm likely to act on. So even though a lot of uh, evangelicals express those kind of uh, views in general, um, you have to measure the intensity of their views 
in relation to other things to see whether they're really consequential for the way they behave. And what we find, in fact, is that, um, you know, it's true that there are political consequences, particularly on the way, uh, you know, whether they favor uh, Israel in abstraction, whether they favor relinquishing the West Bank that Israel now controls, we see it as part of biblical Israel. But when you break it down and try to uh, look at how they view uh, a particular result of the Arab-Israeli conflict, do they support a two-state or one state in which Arabs and Jews are equal, uh, you find that a majority of them still take those two positions that seem to be relatively at odd with the belief that they're projecting, namely that a majority will either support a two-state solution in which the West Bank actually becomes part of a Palestinian state, uh, or support a one state in which Arabs and Jews are fully equal so that it is, is, is no longer a Jewish state. And so that's very interesting, because that's where the rest of the population is as well. Um, but if you combine those two together, that still is the majority of where, where, where evangelicals are. And one more thing about the worldview. Uh, it's fascinating to me, you know what I mean? I ask these questions about whom among world leaders do you admire most, and I ask the same thing uh, about, um, uh, you know, religious leaders. And so for, for the political leaders, obviously the focus on Israel is obvious. So when, when you, when you poll um, Republicans, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, is uh, just in an open-ended question where they can name anybody they want, um, is, is number one tied with Ronald Reagan. Among evangelicals, uh, it's by uh, evangelical Republicans, it's by far uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, almost a quarter name him and only about 9% name uh, Ronald Reagan is in second place. Uh, so Israel is a focal point, but when you ask them about religious leaders they admire most in open questions. It's interesting how current-day evangelical leaders or more recent evangelical leaders that we think of with the rise of evangelism in 60s and 70s, uh, Jerry Falwells and, and Pat Robertson and, and Haggy and others, are not up there in the numbers. Um, the, what, what really kind of captures the imagination in, 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 in a big way, uh, uh, Billy Graham Sr., uh, who obviously is, is no longer with us, uh, and uh, and yes, surprisingly, uh, Pope Francis, uh, and this is among a community that doesn't have a large number of Catholics, and even the Dalai Lama does well you know, on the, on that scale, uh, and when you specifically probe into uh, trying to measure favorability of particular uh, evangelicals none of them get a very large number of favorable ratings. And that tells me that most of the evangelicals aren't looking to those grand national evangelical leaders that we see uh, on television and hear from, but rather to local pastors or small, smaller uh, communities. Uh, they're not all uh, thinking in, in this grand scheme that we're thinking about, which is we call the national scene, that they focus more on smaller communities, and so they give names of people we've never heard of uh, that they they will will invoke, when, particularly in an open-ended question. Well, listen, this has been this has been fascinating, and I want you to keep in contact with me. Let me know what other research you're doing. I assume you know, like you said, you're going to be doing this uh, every year and tracking it and looking at it. So I'm excited to to see what. Yeah, well, not, not only that, but I'm you know I'm writing a book on the evangelicals in the Middle East, and and it sounds like you have an interest in aspects of that, and I'd love to. Um, 
uh, to keep in touch and, and learn more about what you're doing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, this has been great, and I really thank you for your time. My pleasure. Back to the church boys. All right, so we know we um, we promised we're going to get back to a story here after that interview, which was really good, by the way, uh, Billy. Well, well done. Um, you sounded educated in that interview, and I don't. That makes me uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we were going to talk about a story, but we're both looking at the clock and thinking, uh, we we got to get out of here because we've got a zillion things to do. So, Billy, just want to wish people a Merry Christmas. Maybe a happy Merry new, Christmas, happy new everyone. Year. And honestly, I I want to hear in the comments yeah. section of whatever story we put this in, I want to hear how people feel about Christmas, uh, the, the Christmas at Sarah's house that she organizes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Do you kinda, get your kids a lot of gifts, Chris? Do you get them a lot? Yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily spend a ton of money, but like we'll get them a, a couple outfits and a couple toys, you know, and there's a Santa gift and Santa and stocking stuffers and that sort of thing. And then they get a gift for each other. So Izzy will buy something well, for wait, Colton wait, for, for wait. Lucy. So I'm interrupting your Christmas. Yeah, okay. Something popped in my head. My wife and I were having this discussion. She's like, I think every gift should be from Santa except for like one or two. And I'm like, no, I think it should be the opposite. Right. We do we do one big Santa gift and then a stocking full of, you know, little things. Right. I think I'm going to take that idea. Snacks and, and toothbrushes and... I mean, it doesn't you know, matter right now because they have three. She's yeah. clueless. Right. But... Anyway. But uh, no, we... Uh, anyway. So we'll we'll be doing that. But uh, what was I going to say? Probably nothing uh, important. Probably nothing important. So, anyway, we got it. This is, I guess, this would be our Christmas show then, right? <laughs> yeah, since you're unavailable. Show, show title. This, I guess, this is our Christmas show. Um, uh, so we'll be getting out of here, and uh, we'll post this this weekend, and um, and then we'll see you guys probably. We're, well, I, we're hoping to have some some interviews that we'll post during the week of Christmas, right? Well, that's that's the plan. If if we if they yeah, if those interviews the if, if those interviews come through, we'll we'll post some free fall interviews. Which so stay tuned. But our next regular episode will most likely appear uh, in the first week of the new year, uh, unless we're able to finagle something with all of our travel to get a little show put together before then. But uh, if not, uh, hope you all have a merry Christmas and a happy new year. Except for you, uh, Pedro, Mrs. Pedro. I hope you I hope your Christmas is fantastic, Pedro. And eh. oh, speaking of Pedro. People keep buying his music. You can buy the the digital stuff on the go. You know, go to slaveswage dot com. But they sold out of CDs, and and I know we probably wasn't our doing, but I'm gonna just go ahead and take credit for that right now. If that's all right, it might have been. <laughs> We're compelling, but uh, they're still they're still cranking it out, and they've got you've got digital copies you can buy. So please go support them. What they're doing, uh, it's pretty awesome to to see. Uh, blaze style blaze type people uh engaging in the culture and doing things to to spread uh messages of goodness around the world all right billy any, any last words for the people read luke too and watch charlie brown merry christmas y'all <laughs> bye-bye Church boy.